Welcome back, everybody. Good to have you here on a Monday afternoon. Along with Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Coming your way, 600 ESPN El Paso. Our telephone number is 915-505-6009. It's 915-505-6009. You can tweet the program, 600 ESPN El Paso. Very simple. 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. Also, if you'd like to connect to us on our free mobile app powered by United Bank, you can listen and chat in real time. Who else does that? Your friends at 600 ESPN El Paso, that's who. So excited about today's show. We've got a lot lined up. Was the weekend as good for you as you said it would be on Friday? Steve, it was a great weekend. Got a chance to work on the house. Got a chance to relax, watch some sports over the weekend. It was, it was nice. What about yours? Same. Exactly the same. Didn't see as much sports as I thought I would, but I was able to um, smoke a salmon. Then I smoked a chicken right after that. So from the salmon to the chicken breasts, that was good. Food was delicious. Company was even better. Um, had a good time and uh, just enjoyed ourselves this week. It was, it was nice. So uh, when you talked about smoking meats over the weekend, Steve, how was it? What was the process like this time? How would you grade the, fin- the finished product? It's, listen, I'll say this, okay? When it comes to smoking a full salmon filet, we're talking skin on, um, how can I explain this? I've got it down to a science, all right? It's perfect every time. No complaints. Nice, okay, I like this. So uh, everybody left satisfied with with the smoked salmon. They did, they did, they did. The, well, um, the rub is terrific, and I thank my friend Teresa for that. She came up with this incredible salmon rub, uh, dry rub. Doesn't need to be marinated, doesn't need to have any of that. Just buy it, get it to room temp, put some dry rub on it, let the rub sink in for about a half an hour right on the smoker, throw it on a um, – I like to put it on a um, – like a um, – Kind of, it's like a tray, so the salmon juices don't go into the smoker, but it still smokes it is the best way to put it. So almost like a baking pan type of thing where you've got like you've got the um, you know the the grates uh, on the on the bottom and then uh, it still gets the whole smoke flavor, but you're not actually putting it on the um, the barbecue grill grates. You kind of have a separate thing. It's perfect. That's the way to do it because nothing gets onto your smoker. Everything is clean. Everything uh, tastes good. And uh, happy that it turned out well, Steve. So I don't mind, like, when I smoke the salmon directly on the grate. So I have no problem getting stuff into the smoker. I just like to keep the salmon itself kind of off so that way it just kind of it's, – it's its own entity and it works out really good. Like, if I smoke – if you smoke a brisket, that sucker is not going into a roasting pan. That thing is going right on the smoker. You know, right? Yeah, because I I try to I try to follow the Aaron Franklin recipe, which is, you know, you start it with the meat, then you hit a certain temperature, then you wrap it in pink butcher paper right back on the smoker, hit the target temp and then let it rest for an hour or two. And then you cut it, slice it and eat it. And it's perfect. 
that's such a yeah, that sounds fantastic. I, I like that. I like that recipe for the for the brisket side of things too. I didn't even think about that. Wrapping it up and throwing it back in um, at that point, I like that. Some people wrap it in aluminum foil. Uh, I, I do. I went with the pink butcher paper because I wanted to try it and I liked it. It's greasy. Uh, it's messy, but it's fun. It's uh, listen. I never thought during COVID that a I would buy a pellet grill and b I would actually try to start smoking meat. I never thought I would do that. I thought I'd just stick with the conventional barbecue grill. But this uh, this thing's a game changer. It really is. And we have a flat top that we don't use enough that we should use more often. So we got a lot of a lot of ways to um, prepare food these days. Besides just the conventional oven and uh, and and uh, stove, we now have uh, three different uh, other ways with the smoker, the grill, the standard grill, and, and the flat top. There's a lot of things going on. I like it. So getting myself hungry just thinking about it. Yeah, today. I'm getting hungry when you're explaining all this. But it seems like barbecue in the summer is done right at the Kaplowitz house. We don't screw around at our house. We really don't. And um, you know, it's it's perfect. So that's my uh, that, those are my secret tips. Um, and there's really not much of a secret. Listen, here's what I've done so far since I bought this smoker. Okay, chicken, salmon, pork shoulder, brisket, turkey. I still want to do beef ribs and pork ribs. Haven't done those yet. I used to do the uh, slow-cooked oven recipe for my pork ribs where they you know, kind of like fall off the bone, but I want to try the smoke for that. Definitely want to do beef ribs when I get a chance. And the biggest thing for me is I want to do another brisket. I am so excited to do uh, another brisket, a uh, whole brisket, in the smoker sometime soon. And you know, the, the only downside to it is it takes about 12 hours. So my goal is put it in about 11 at night, go to bed, wake up around 6, and then by then you're already seven hours in, and uh, the rest of it should be gravy. I can get up, wake up, take it out, wrap it, and we should be good to go. And you, and you can buy one of these wireless Bluetooth probes. It's called the meter, and it hooks up to an app. And the way it works is when you turn the app on and it reads it, it tells you... Temperature of the smoker, the temperature of your meat, and how many hours until you hit the target that you're wanting to get for a temperature. Okay, I'm blown away at this because I'm looking at it right now, and I was thinking in my head, I was picturing like this satellite that you like stick into your, <laughs> no, <laughs> into your brisket. Steve, this is tiny. It's so subtle. It doesn't even look like it's a, it's a pro one, one bit. You can barely tell. Barely tell. And that thing works wonders. So there's so many things you can do, Adrian. The point is the possibilities are endless with cooking. It's great. And this is, this is, listen, this isn't smoking. This is smoking for idiots. Because let's be honest, a pellet grill, all it requires, if it's an electric pellet grill, all it requires is pellets. And not to be so stupid, you lose track of how many pellets are in your grill. So as long as you keep the box full, there's no reason why you should ever screw anything up. None. So I am more impressed with people like Richard Funk of Desert Oak Barbecue who has those massive smokers where you just got to keep throwing oak in there and regulate temperatures the old-fashioned way with no help. That's, that's the trick. Those are the masters of what they do. Those are the masters of the craft. This is just a nice thing to do on weekends when I want to uh, – Put something fun together and uh, and do it where you know you're not going to try to screw it up. 
what you're talking about is like artistry where you're when you're adding that kind of wood and you're you've got it down to the T where you can actually yes. you know which firewood burns best, you know what makes which uh, meats even better. Yeah, that's when you get to that next level of smoking. So I'm with you on that. Uh, I want to try I, I love I love smoked ribs. Good. So uh, I'm I'm excited for you to try that and um, I love smoked mac and cheese. So, you know, those are those are some other ones right Never there. Never done that keep either. On, keep on your radar. Yeah, that sounds interesting too. You can't go wrong with mac and cheese, can you? You just can't go wrong. And the truth is this. Every good recipe is on YouTube. Every one. Like, as long as you just pay attention and follow instructions, you're, you're good. You're going to always, you're, you're going to get a good one. You are. Unless you get a bad piece of meat, and hopefully you don't do that. Hopefully you make sure it's a winner and you're good to go. So, that's it. Price of brisket's expensive, though. It's not cheap. I mean, you know, you want a good 15, 20-pound brisket, you're paying 60, 70 bucks or 80 bucks, depending on what kind of quality meat you want, whether it's choice, prime, whatever. So that's the only downside right now. Price of meat's a fortune. So you can't just go out and do it every weekend. You got to be, you know, you got to pick and choose your uh, pick and choose your moments. Yeah, maybe the brisket for a bigger party. Next time you have that big uh, shebang at your house for 50 people, that's the brisket. That's when you can bring that one out. Good huh? Lord. 50 <laughs> people. No, thank you. No, thank you. It's too many people. What do you think I live? I don't live in a mansion. I live in a regular house. We can't do 50 people. That's a yeah, lot Just of stuff them. Just stuff them. There. Or Thank no, you. do a brisket drive-thru. Just, uh, there just, you go. Everybody could stop by, pick up a brisket That's sandwich. a good idea. Brisket drive-thru. I like that. That's, that's the way to go. All right. Anyway, hope you all had a good weekend. Hope everybody enjoyed themselves. That's for sure. Happy Pinky got his hat. His new hat came in. It fits him a little bit better. He told us that, so thank you, Pinky. Good for you. Good for your hat uh, and, and everything else. So... All right. Meanwhile, we got a lot more in store for you on the show today. Going to be a good show. A-team coming in. They'll join us in about uh, less than 10 minutes from now. Then, in our 5 o'clock hour, Fred Albers is going to join us and give us a U.S. Open preview. That's also terrific news. And if that's not enough, Matt Norlander is going to be popping in in the 6 o'clock hour to talk about what the WAC is doing for college basketball and how they are going to determine who goes to the NCAA tournament. Adrian, I like it. It's new, it's fresh, it's different. Steve, a lot of people won't like it. A lot of people are on the opposite side of this. They're saying, you are using... Um advanced analytics to uh, determine seeding in a conference tournament in men's and women's basketball? What are you doing right now if you're the WAC? That's what a lot of people are saying right now on on the internet right now. I, I will say this. It's going to be an interesting experiment to watch how the WAC uses the advanced analytics model to see and determine the standings that take place in both men's and women's hoops because we're, we've never seen anything like this. You could have a second place team by record who ends up being the fifth or fourth seed when it's all said and done based on this model. Listen, let me say this about the WAC, okay? And this is very important. People should understand this before they get mad at the WAC. The WAC is a one-bid league. Whoever wins the tournament goes uh, to the dance, okay? So as much as we want to say, well, the WAC is screwy for doing these, uh, the way they're trying to reward standings and, 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 uh, and placement, hey, the fact is, it's not a multi-bid league like most conferences. It's a one-bid league. So ultimately... If uh, New Mexico State takes care of business the way they should, the way their schedule is built, they will most likely be that number one seed no matter what happens. 
platform any kind of algorithm you want, you're probably going to get the Aggies as the number one seed. Yeah, that's a great point right there. I think that's why they did it with the the WAC, because it's not a volatile conference. You're not going to have uh, multiple teams who you think could be the first place team. You, you, prob- you probably not know. Yet. Right, not, right, yet. not yet. It's well, coming. It's coming next year. Yeah, there's going to be a lot more parity in, in the WAC, but this is a good time to do this and experiment with uh, with seeding and seeing how this advanced analytic model actually works. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know how this ends up be, you know, taking place and the fact that they use Ken Pomeroy, the guy, the inventor of Ken Pom, to actually develop this model. I find that very, very interesting. We need to get Ken on the show again. We've had Ken on yeah. the program in the past. We need to get him back and talk about how his rankings are ultimately going to decide the WAC tournament, WAC tournament seating. I like that. I'll, I'll reach out to him. I'll be like, hey, Ken, I- I'm a loyal subscriber. Can you please join the show? He will. He'll come on. You know he will. So that's good. He's a math guy, which is so fun to, to talk to math guys about things like this. Oh, man, it's going to be awesome. And I was looking to see. I thought I had Ken's number, but I don't. So if we can get him on, that would be great. Work on that. Maybe he's in the Rolodex. You know what? I have a book that, that he's, he's in. So I'll, I'll read it. really? Out. Yeah. Nice. Nice. All right. Uh, tweets coming in before we get to the A team. Ed McDonald. Adrian, he didn't want to tell you that he has a degree from the London School of Culinary Excellence. Bloody well right, thy young Brit, from uh, Ed McDonald. Funny enough that you said that, okay? Jeff Flint worked with me on Sports Talk more than 20 years ago. The first time he left the show, he left to go to the Scottsdale Culinary Institute and graduated a sommelier uh, from the Scottsdale Culinary Institute. So one of my former um, uh, cohorts on this show did go to culinary school. Wasn't me. It was Jeff. So I appreciate that. Wow, that's a bit of trivia. I didn't know Piece of trivia. And then he came back after his culinary degree and he started working for us again. I'm like, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? You just got, you just spent, you're going to be in debt for 10 years. Go get a real job. Don't work at the radio station like you had been before. He wanted to cook up some more takes, Steve. He didn't want to cook up food. He did. That's 100% right. Uh, Pinky saw the celebrity golf tournament from State Line, Nevada. So enjoyable to watch. Why can't more tournaments be like that? Good point. That, that tournament is fun because it's not your normal golf tournament. It's celebrities, which makes it so much different. I think we're going to see a lot more of these tournaments happen. And we've already seen the match happen multiple times. It was kind of a product of the pandemic, and now we've seen more iterations of it. We just saw the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, uh, the match you know tournament that That's ended right. up taking place, uh, and Tony Romo winning another one. I mean, yeah, these, these are exciting. They're a lot of fun. So I, I like these celebrity golf tournaments as well. I'm excited too. I think it's terrific. All right, uh, meanwhile – the A-team is right around the corner. They'll join us in our Lubingo studios next to talk about uh, tomorrow's upcoming homestand with your El Paso Chihuahuas. Not to mention, big win by the Locos. Congratulations to Coach Hutch and company. Getting it done as we get it done here on a Monday. Let's go to Charlie One and get our first traffic update of the afternoon. Back here on Sports Talk 22 Past. Adrian, isn't it nice to see the A-team back in our Lubingo studios for a change? Yes, it feels like a while, and it's going to be a while uh, for the next time the Chihuahuas are here in town besides this week. That's true. That is is true. true. Welcome back, A-team. How are we doing? Doing great. Doing great. Great to be back. You both look good. Thank you. Oh, (laughs) wow. Don't make me blush, Steve. (laughs) What if I I actually came on and said, you know, 
really look like crap, Andy. What the heck? What have you been doing to yourself? Yeah, you, you're What's just happening? getting over being sick or something. Yeah, oh, come on, Andy. Oh my God, uh, no, you look. You, you, you both look. Uh, you both look terrific. And uh, I know with the, with the uh, homestand starting tomorrow, and then the All Star break right around the corner. This is a big one for the Chihuahuas right now, isn't it? Huge. Yeah, we're it's well rested. Big. We got six games coming up of lots of fun, fun, fun. That's right. You do with Round Rock coming to town. By the way, almost an identical record to the Chihuahua. So two teams that are having very good seasons, both of them. And I know we are looking forward to uh, what, what is going to be a very good series. Before we get to the uh, individual series, i got to ask you two. Um, Robinson Cano yesterday just was acquired by the Atlanta Braves for cash. And uh, here's a guy that spent over a month in El Paso was about as good a teammate on and off the field as you're going to find. Super fan friendly. Did not turn down an autograph request or a chance to meet the fans. You you probably would not, ne- you know, you don't find situations like this very often, but Robinson Cano was is trying to work his way back to the bigs and uh, there's no ego with this man, is there? No, you know, I my dad has season seats. He's a season seat member and he's right there at the home dugout and you know, when the guys come off the field, they throw those balls into the stands. And one of the things at, towards the end, you know, well, when he came here, he started grabbing the balls from the guys and throwing them in the stands himself so that fans could actually get a ball from Robinson Cano. Oh, that's and, really and cool. So that's what's really cool. And he would pick out kids from from that section. So section 119, 120, 121, he would find a kid and purposely either call the kid down to give a a ball to them or try to show throw it to them so that they could catch it that's so, awesome really cool like, that is awesome. on any any given night you, your typical player they're more apt to participate or interact with a, a fan during pregame right well one thing that i know is with cano and this is you don't do this during the middle of a game but he would stop and come on the field during our recognitions and promotions I remember one time specifically, it was in the middle of a game that we did a military recognition, and then Robinson comes out of the dugout and takes a picture with this guy. Wow, yeah. that's super cool. Yeah, really like cool. that never happens. A player's always focused on what's going on on the field, and man, he's he class act. It is, especially, and he, and he did well, and the Braves took note, and of course they won just in time for that Mets series this right. week. It's very <laughs> yeah. strategic by uh, acquiring uh, Cano the way they did, and hopefully he gets up and is able to kind of recapture some of that magic because towards the end of his run in El Paso, the home runs started to come, yep. more power developing, and you could tell almost he's getting back into his rhythm again. That's right. Yeah, he created a lot of fans here in El Paso, and I'm definitely going to be rooting for him. He also uh, did very well in the jersey auction department, guys. He did. He, he, did. he helped raise <laughs> some money for the uh, Chihuahuas Foundation. Yeah, that, that didn't hurt. <laughs> Stars and Stripes jerseys did very well once again this year. I looked at the totals, and man, oh man, you guys uh, were you know should be pretty happy because nice-looking uniforms, number one. They were terrific. And, um, you know, again, it's a once-a-year thing, so a lot of fans look forward to it. And when they realize they could actually own Robinson Cano's jersey and everybody else that's here because this team is loaded with some prospects right now, it's a good time to be a Chihuahuas fan. It absolutely is. And, and you know, what's great about uh, our jersey auctions is all that money stays local. So we, we give back to local nonprofits and w- in order to make sure that they, it all stays local. So it doesn't go to a national nonprofit. It all stays here in El Paso. That's great. Adrian mentioned this is the time to go see the Chihuahuas because otherwise you're going to have to wait till August That's right. 2nd. That's, That's right. the next time this team is back in town after this uh, upcoming homestand. Yeah, big, big break. Two weeks practically Yeah, yep. with that all-star game and then right. road well, trip. That's what you call re- 
Reno and Tacoma, right? Yep. That's right. So uh, Hags better pack uh, for a lot of days, that's for <laughs> sure. Not going to be an easy one for them. All right, uh, let's talk, by the way, about this team. Uh, coming off some impressive performances, and you look at what happened um, you know, in Sugarland. Right. They won their last three, 11-3, 6-5, and 4-3, so some good one-run wins. They're right in the middle of it, and now they get Round Rock starting tomorrow night with uh, Tacos, Twos, and Brews happening here at the ballpark. Everyone loves Taco Tuesday, right? So from <laughs> gates open through 8 o'clock, we got those $2 specials on tacos and Bud Select cans. Um, so come enjoy. And it's also Youth Softball Night. So we're still selling some groups out there for youth softball. So if you've got a team, contact Brittany Morgan. you just got to call 533-BASE. That's the way to go. And uh, by the way, um, I've been on these Tuesday night games. There are a ton of tacos that get uh, consumed <laughs> and a ton of 12-ounce beers for 2 bucks. They can they're become part bucks. of this. For 10 bucks, you can get five tacos. I mean, and they're big. Yeah, you, they I mean, you've seen them. They're the big, the big-shelled hard-shelled with picadillo, and they fill them. You know what they else I was going to say? You're funny because you're saying you know, for, for, for 10 bucks you can get five tacos. I look at it differently. For 4 bucks you can get two beers. That's right. <laughs> that is the way. And, and most fans are double-fisted. That's right. Very few go into the grab-and-go section and come out with one beer. Most fans have two beers. Now, I will say the only caveat is they open both beers on the spot. Yes. So the fact is, when you leave with two beers, they're both open, you better start con- you know, drinking rel- relatively quick <laughs> because otherwise you're going to get a, a second beer is going to be a little warmer than you want. But as long as you're smart with your beer consumption, you can do pretty well at that evening. You absolutely can. And remember, you're only allowed two beers per purchase. So... You know, you've got to you've got to think strategically when you, you get do. in those lines. You can get back in line again, yes, absolutely. Like, if you want. <laughs> All I can tell you is this: I went um, last the last Tuesday home game. I was there. I took Joel, and um, and I had my two beers. And everybody kept asking me, "Where do you get these from? Where'd you get them?" Like they want to know. Some guy was holding probably a twenty-four ounce astray. They paid ten or twelve bucks for it, wondering well, where do you get the little small two dollar beers. And then when you tell them where it is, you almost feel good. You feel like you're helping somebody absolutely. out. Absolutely. You want, you want beer somebody to uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. To make sure that they uh, yep. they they get the beer done the right the way they need. Absolutely. It. All right, that's Tuesday. That's tomorrow night, six thirty-five. By the way, all weeknight games six thirty-five, with the exception of Sunday six oh five. So every game, including Saturday, six thirty-five at the ballpark. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that I was told the Sunday fireworks show was the greatest fireworks show ever. At Southwest University Park. If I was you told weren't there. It was you unbelievable. <laughs> you missed Everyone thought that it ended until you heard that home run call. Yeah. And we, that was really cool. We had some tricks up our sleeve. We had just one firework ready, set to go. We, we ran a, a Tim Haggerty home run call during the middle of the show. And as soon as that home run hit, um, one of the fireworks shot just like it was going to be out of here. And then oh, that's cool. We, we let the base paths on fire. And really? It, but it, it was, wasn't just any home run call. Oh, that's right. It no. wasn't just any. It was Kiros's, if everyone remembers, it was Kiros's Grand Slam walk-off home run that set the record for the PCL modern day home run record. Oh, that's cool. And Hags went nuts in that call. Yep. And that launch angle on that firework. Was perfect. perfect. <laughs> it just it looked exactly like a real home run. It really Right did. over the batter's eye. Of course, it fizzled out. No, one, no injuries or anything like that. We calculated everything there, but man, it was so cool. How'd you light the base paths on fire? How'd that one go? Uh... My boy Rod, he, right. he 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 can do anything. Uh, got a little gasoline, and you know, 
There you, party you guys <laughs> actually lit a gas fire on the base paths to yeah. do that happen. On, uh, yeah, you, every, every, that is insane. Every lane had one gallon essentially that they they put out there. Oh uh, my! It goodness. was really cool, Adrian. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I wish I was there. I wish there were more videos on this because this is awesome. I, I kind of want to see this. I want to see this visually. Did you video it to, to possibly put up on a YouTube? It stream should be up on our Facebook page because we do archive all of our face our fireworks. We show them live. And okay. once it's live, it is archived automatically. Okay, so oh my, this is, is, that, a, is test. a test. This yeah. is a test. Yeah. Oh, that's. But we're funny. showing we're showing it on my phone right now, and yeah, lit that is on fire. phenomenal. Look and that. think about it with the lights out and the sun down. It like was really cool. It was. Yeah. That is neat. Very cool. That's a good little gasoline fire they did out there. I like that. Nicely and done. The field was not damaged. Thank no How problem, that, Travis. That's, that's telling you there. You guys have this stuff down to a science, don't you? You really do. More with the A-Team as we continue. We'll talk about Wednesday through Sunday's games and a special giveaway coming up on Friday night. But first, let's go to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. Back with the A-Team as we continue here on Sports Talk. Adrian uh, found the Facebook link. We'll get a chance to watch this during the break and uh, and enjoy it. Ten-minute show? How long was this thing? Yeah, it's yeah. an extended show, just about nice. ten minutes, I'd say. It. All right, good. Uh, Wednesday night, um, Wine and Nine Wednesday. Let's uh, talk about that because you've got $4 single-serve wines on the concourse. Um, what does the Wine and Nine mean? So the wine is obviously the special on four bucks, but then nine, of course, relates to nine innings of a baseball game. But we also have a $9 price point on a specialty item. And this coming Wednesday, it's going to be a, a value size of the carne asada fries. Oh, nice. You get for nine bucks. Now, that's good. What are those normally priced? I'm curious about what the uh, discount is. Yeah, it's uh, 20 or 12 oh. bucks. So it's about oh, wow. that's 20, a sig- 25% that's, off. Guys, that's a significant. We're not talking like $1 off. That's a nice little discount Absolutely. you're throwing out there on the carne asada fries. Yeah, it's a premium item that fans love and, love and enjoy. So we want to give it for a little special rate. Every Wednesday when you do that, is there a different premium item that's on special there has been yes last week it was nachos we've done a burger before but typically the the original priced item is between 12 and 15 dollars wow that's really cool guys yeah, that yeah. is really cool and the carne asada fries probably one of the most popular fries out there right and they're correct they're, I, I don't eat much <laughs> at the ballpark these days but i just recently had that last homestand in delicious excellent and that's presented by uh, trinchetto family estates, family estates yeah and also on wednesday it's seniors eat free presented by wellman so um senior 16 up get them get that fruit that free meal nice. um and diablo's days of course that's right that were the diablo jerseys that are so popular by the way i hear people that tell me that they think that the purple jersey is the best looking one ever have you heard that from people i have not some people have told me that the, the purple uh chili d is one of their favorite-looking uh, jerseys of all time. Maybe it's nostalgic for them, Maybe. I assume. Maybe. I don't know. I like the red and the, the yellow one. I like that, that one a couple years ago. I do, I do. The pinstripes was very cool. By the way, there are others you can go into, by the way. I mean, I'm sure you've gotten into the history uh, oh, sure. of, of uh, Diablo's jerseys. You don't have to stop with just the red and yellow and this uh, this purple thing. You, you've got – there's there's more to uh, more to come. Oh, is there <laughs> good? Okay. Good to know. If that tells you the answer, There's, Steve, that is good. I'm excited about that. Okay, uh, Thursday, Thrifty Thursday, 
Uh, it's like it's like you got the whole place on for two bucks that night. It's it's crazy how much is available on Thrifty Thursday. Yeah, it's time to go into your glove compartments and your car. We all know that we keep our change in there, and you just pull out the change <laughs> and come to the ballpark. Don't for say $2. that because people are going to really bring change, and it's a cashless uh, facility now. Oh, that's right. So if come you on, say Ange. that, somebody's going to show up with a whole stack of quarters. <laughs> hey, and deposit be really it into your account and then come to the ballpark. You are exactly right. We are a cashless facility, so everything is digital. Can somebody actually show up with a wad of change at the ticket office and load their ticket up with it? Absolutely. That's what we do. In fact, if those those patrons who come to the ballpark with cash, we send them to the box office and really? we give them a voucher. The advanced ticket mm-hmm. window. Fantastic. Absolutely. So there you go. That's, there's your answer, folks. You can find all yes, the loose change. Just go to the ticket office with your ticket and you're all set and good to go. Absolutely. Excellent. All right. That takes us to Friday. Friday is going to be... Let's see here. Um, it's a very special giveaway. El Paso Rope Cap Giveaway is what it is. That's right. Rope caps. All right. Oh, I, you know what? I hadn't seen these in a long time. It's good to see these are coming back. Yeah, it's a little vintage look, but, yeah, they're hot right now. I like that. And you've got the golf look with the uh, – the who's your, uh, who's your cover person for that? <laughs> That's Matt Clarkson. <laughs> yeah, shout-out uh, yeah. promo intern. Oh, there you go. So and and uh, yeah, um, the the women will love that uh, that image of Matt. So he's got uh, he's got the golf club. He's got the polo shirt. You're not gonna get the polo shirts, but you're gonna get the El Paso. Um, it's the rope cap, and then it's got the logo on the side, and it's a black cap. Yeah, black cap with the red El Paso across the, the, the top of it. Excellent. Kind of like a scripty El Paso, kind of trendy, and then okay. white rope across right above the bill. And, yeah, uh, dog head logo on the side. Uh, presented by GCU to the first 1,500 fans, uh, paid uh, with a paid admission. That's right. And that's uh, coming up on Friday against Round Rock. And then Saturday, fireworks, spectacular Saturday. And, uh, again, as we talked about earlier, Best fireworks show you're going to see anywhere with what you all do every weekend. We have a pretty exciting music track this coming week. Um, we're actually going to do a little tribute to Queen. And if you can imagine, oh, nice. Queen's, Queen's music plays pretty well into fireworks. So we're going to have some fun with that. Well, especially if you play We Will Rock You. That is the way to do it with the fireworks show. You know it. So if you're a fan of Queen, come on out to the ballpark. Sunday will be a Salute to Service Sunday. We're active in military and veterans receive a pretzel and beer combo with a valid ID. That's right. Yeah, come to the promotions booth, and my team will be able to help them out with that. Kids also get to run the bases on Sunday? That's right. They do. It's also GECU Bark at the Park. Oh, my God. The dogs are back. So bring the doggos. Yep. And, and the concessions team, they got Puppuccinos yep. ready to go. Miss Bennett will be making an appearance this weekend. Miss Bennett? Miss uh, Bennett will be right. making an appearance. Very nice. So it's a busy week. It's going to fly by. And then what are you all going to do for uh, two weeks before the next homestand starts? Well, I have soccer. So Not a, Andy doesn't. Andy doesn't have <laughs> Andy soccer. Doesn't. I don't have soccer. No. Are you in town? Or are you taking off for a few days? No, I'll, I'll be here. I mean, we still work in the office. And All right. We do have one special thing that's going to happen at some point during this series that oh, we yeah. announced today. That release is going out tomorrow. But our four millionth fan after uh, nine seasons will be coming through the gates at Southwest University. Four Park. million already. Four million. We're going to hit that milestone. Do you know sometime. when you're going to hit it? It's looking like Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So Excellent. Just depends. Um and. Whoever comes through the gates will get a, a whole lot of prizes. So That's swag. awesome. Big fan pack yeah. and stuff. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, we also have right now Fetch the Fundraiser. Wanted to bring that up. Presented by ADP. We're working with the Humane Society on 
um, giving them some of their wish list. They're in need right now, and $5 donation at 844-311-5007. I was going to say four. Um, <laughs> if you text FETCH to 844-311-5007, a minimum donation of $5, and we'll match that with a, um, a leash or a toy. But wanted to get that out there. And also, we're doing a Whataburger donation drive on Friday. If you bring in a non-perishable item, uh, you will get a free Whataburger coupon uh, for your donation. All of those donations will go to the Child Crisis Center. So Excellent. this is we're doing good too. We're doing some some good things in the community with some great partners such as ADP and, and Whataburger, and want to continue to give back. So epchihuahuas.com absolutely uh, eplocomotivefc.com right? that's right or is eplocomotivefc or eplocomotive.com it's eplocomotivefc.com and by the way uh, these two teams are both doing great they're doing amazing locomotive are flying now they're winning all over ten the place un- 10 unbeaten streak incredible. right now that is, it is incredible sports center top 10 that's right both the, teams has that ever happened before I don't think so one yeah. was number one and one was number two no. Not in the history. The, and this was Chihuahua's second time in a week wow. getting number one. Getting number one, that's right. You're getting a lot of buzz right now this yeah. team. Heck yeah. Got some you gotta exciting come see plays. Play. Got to come see him play. We've been number one twice on SportsCenter. Um, El Paso Locomotive FC has been number two. And we've actually been number one at one point this year. So this is an explosive team. Both teams are amazing. They're doing great. Come out and see them before before the seasons I mean, are over. Yeah, fans, enjoy watching them on yeah. SportsCenter. But <laughs> it's way more exciting actually at the ball. No, there's nothing better than being at the ballpark. That's right. Nothing. So, and that's for any live sporting event, whether it's uh, soccer, whether it's baseball, hands down, yeah, yeah, or any sport, football, basketball, hockey. I don't care what. It's always better being live. Agreed, it really absolutely. Is. All right, terrific seeing the two of you again. Thanks for having us. Enjoy tomorrow, and uh, this will be a great homestand. Looking forward to it. And hopefully, yeah. uh, that four millionth fan. I'm excited. They're going to be an exclusive club because we've had the one millionth. Two millionth and three millionth. That's there's there's still only going to be the fourth fan that's going to have the million distinction like million this. Million fan Absolutely. club. That's right. Man, we should have, do the SNL thing and get him a jacket. <laughs> like That would be cool. You it? know what would be really cool is if you had <clears throat> all four four million fans together one night all like kind of being honored in the million club. Huh. Well. I like that, you too. You know, five million could be coming up around the corner in a couple of years. Could be the way you're going. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. All right. Thank you again, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. A-team with us. Angela Olivas, Andy Feld. as we continue. 42 pass. More sports talk in a moment. 600 ESPN El Paso. As we continue here on Sports Talk, still to come. Oh, we got a lot in store for you. In fact, we'll get a chance to uh, join Fred Albers coming up in our 5 o'clock hour. Matt Norlander in our 6 o'clock hour to talk uh, about the latest involving what the, the WAC is doing for college basketball. It, uh, you, you, we could say it's controversial, Adrian, because it's definitely sparking uh, a lot of reaction, both uh, some good, some bad, around the sports world. Yeah, I feel like those who have uh, said that they are not in favor of this are those who are favor in favor of all the ways that we, um, you know, we we finish out basketball standings in a traditional way. It's wins and losses. It's your overall record, and that's the way that we determine seeding when it comes to things like uh, conference uh, conference basketball tournaments. But the WAC is doing a completely different model using advanced analytics. They will be uh, using things like strength of schedule, uh, how how you're you have fared against a tougher opponent. They'll, they'll take all those things into consideration when ranking te- uh, these teams in the WAC for the basketball tournament. 
Yep, so that's all going to be uh, coming up uh, later in the show. Our thanks again uh, go out to the A-Team for uh, joining us and uh, giving us the lowdown as far as uh, the upcoming homestand is concerned for uh, El Paso Chihuahuas uh, baseball. I owe you this from Friday, folks. Adrian's Movie Review, which is brought to you by our friends at Alamo Drafthouse. Adrian, we're going to be at Alamo tomorrow hosting a couple of client events with our radio station family, which means Adam Young gets to host Sports Talk tomorrow, and he's already loaded the show up. Yeah, that's exactly right. Big thanks to Adam Young for hosting tomorrow on Sports Talk. Thanks to Alamo Drafthouse for for hosting Town Square El Paso tomorrow at their both locations. Um, I'm talking about History of the World Part 1 today. Uh, Mel Brooks. He doesn't just star in it. He writes it. He produced it. He did everything. He probably uh, worked on the cinematography behind it as well, Steve. This one's broken into four different parts. The Stone Age, the Old Testament, the Roman Empire, the Stan- the, and then the Spanish Inquisition, which, you know, you get into the French Revolution as well. So um, I loved the, the cavemen in the Stone Age. That was a hilarious part. Uh, I love the fact that Mel Brooks was Moses. Uh, there were 15 commandments. I didn't know that. This this movie gave me a lot of interesting insight on on a lot of things I didn't know. There were 15 commandments, but he dropped actually, you know, five of them. So uh, it ended up just being 10 commandments when it was all said and done. Uh, the Roman Empire, I love the philosopher at Caesar's Palace. Uh, that was hilarious. Um, you know, when you're going over to the thing like the uh, the Spanish Inquisition, you're talking about the torture that they went through. That was one of my favorite scenes all in all. I would kind of associate this film with like a Monty Python. Very, very satirical. Very, you know, funny. It is kind of funny and ironic all across the board. I watched this one on Apple TV. When I was reading the reviews, Steve, I couldn't real. I couldn't believe that everybody uh, seemed to not like it. Sixty-one. Uh, 61%- well, it's controversial because a lot of he tackles a lot of religion in there. Yeah, I, I could see and that. Historical, but and historical. It's very, very satirical. It's yes. kind of like um. Monty Python meets the Book of Mormon. That's how I would say that this movie kind of is uh, brought together. Um, I found some really interesting parts on this one. This was nominated for the worst pick in the 1981 Stinkers Award, uh, and it won. Uh, In the Bad Movie Awards, actually it lost when it was all said and done to Tarzan the Ape Man. So that one uh, ended up taking the cake. Uh, this one was rated with 61% on Rotten Tomatoes, 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb, but I liked it. I thought it was a pretty funny film. I'm giving this one 8 out of 10 bananas. Nice. First Mel Brooks fu- film that I've seen in this mix, uh, in, in this mix of classic films that I'm watching. So, yeah, it was, it was a nice t- a nice treat here. Have you seen Spaceballs already? Yes, I've seen okay, Spaceballs. Okay, so you've already seen, so you're familiar and with Brooks Young's, from Spaceballs. And Young Frankenstein. That's a, gl- a great one, too. Have you ever seen Blazing Saddles? No, I haven't. That is probably the movie that put Brooks on the map because that was from 1974. All right, I'm going to add that one to the list. Do oh, it. Real quick, Steve. History of the World Part 2 is supposed to be coming on Hulu. Uh, really? With Mel Brooks as well. So if you have a Hulu subscription, keep an eye out. History of the World Part 2 on the way. Well, Mel Brooks just turned 96 years old. So uh, if that movie's going to be made, I'm hoping he's around to see it. Let's it's put it that way. actually a series, Steve. So I don't really? know if they'll have him narrate or just give input. I don't know what his affiliation will be in this, but yes, uh, did read on that. One hour in the books. If you want to know about the U.S. Open and uh, what's going to be the best, uh, you know, best picks for golf, we've got it coming up. Fred Albers in our five o'clock hour as Sports Talk continues. 
Our friend Jim Ward, as we welcome you back to Hour 2 of the program. He's Adrian Broaddus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Together we deliver sports talk uh, for you, and we're going to talk a little golf to begin our second hour. Joining us right now from uh, PGA uh, Radio is uh, the one, the only, Fred Albers, who uh, is going to give us his thoughts on the 150th Open uh, this week from St. Andrews in Scotland. Freddie, first off, welcome back to the show. Good to have you on. Uh, how are you doing this summer? Uh, everything's going good. I've had a, a week off, uh, ready to go back uh, to work next week, uh, headed up to Minneapolis for the 3M Championship in Minnesota. Excellent. Part of my schedule is already complete, so I got some time off uh, coming into the fall. Have you ever attended the American Century Celebrity event that they do out there in uh, Tahoe? No, uh, but the, the, the station covers it. Uh, they usually send a reporter by the name of Michael Collins to it, who is more in touch with the entertainment world and some of uh, the other reporters that we have. But, yeah, we, uh, we go out there, and I see a lot of those players every year at, at Pebble Beach at the AT&T. Excellent. Uh, by the way, since we're now two years removed from COVID, even though uh, it's still very much uh, a part, uh, not just here, but everywhere, have you started to feel like, uh, at least from the golf standpoint, things have returned to a pretty good sense of normalcy? Well, it's funny you should ask that because I came back from Boston in the U.S. Open, I, I didn't feel well. I was battling a cold, had a little temperature. A lot of people were sick up there. And I tested positive for COVID uh, two weeks ago. Uh, I, I can't say I was asymptomatic because, like I said, I had a cold and a cough and a low-grade fever. But, yeah, I was, I was in that, that, that same bunch thinking that uh, COVID was behind it. And uh, I tested positive for it. I'm, I'm fully net vaccinated and uh, double booster shots. So uh, it was a five-day inconvenience for me. But you're no longer required to wear a mask uh, on the PGA Tour. Uh, once again, we can go where we want to go and, and as far as talking to players. So uh, much of that is behind us. Good. I'm happy to hear you're doing better. That's uh, what it's all about. Uh, meanwhile, when you look at what's going to be happening later this week uh, at St. Andrews in Scotland, that's another question. Is that a destination and a golf course that you've been at and, and, uh, and worked over the years? Uh, yes, to both of them. Uh, when, when I was in college, I decided that a, a cool goal would be to go uh, in person to all the four majors. And uh, I accomplished that. My last one was uh, 84 at, uh, at St. Andrews. So, uh, yes, I've been there uh, several times. It's absolutely a, a destination that uh, uh, any, any uh, golfer would be excited to be there. I guess Tiger is one of those because he calls St. Andrews his favorite course in the world, and uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. He's played terrific over the years at St. Andrews, although you still kind of wonder what this uh, incarnation of Tiger Woods will be able to do when he gets on the course uh, later this week. Well, from what I've seen, there's no problem with Tiger's swing. Uh, I still question whether he can walk 72 holes and practice rounds. He, He played last week, albeit with a cart, in Ireland. And uh, had a practice round Saturday and Sunday and played a little bit today in the former champions uh, exhibition. And St. Andrews is flat, but there's a lot of rolling turf where you're moving your feet uh, and your knees. And uh, St. Andrews bunkers are extremely deep. Now, when he went there back in 2000, he didn't hit it into a single one of the more than 100 bunkers uh, on the property. I don't know if that's uh, realistic these days. But uh, I, to, to say that that's the easiest walk of the year on the PGA Tour is misleading. At the same time, he's walked it both Saturday and Sunday. Apparently, walked it with Justin Thomas uh, on Saturday 
and then uh, played a full practice round uh, less than 12 hours later Sunday. I guess if you're Tiger, that's one way to test it, right? Go and, and walk a, a full 18 back-to-back days just to give your body an idea of what it's going to have to deal with. Yeah, and I would say Tiger went into this with a, with a formula and knew exactly what he's going to do every day, uh, how much uh, endurance he had, and uh, wanted to make sure that he didn't practice too much and wasn't physically fit for the tournament itself. So Tiger uh, doesn't have anything happen by chance. He absolutely uh, always has a game plan. Well, I know there's going to be a lot of people rooting for him, especially with his uh, past success out there and what he's done. But as far as you know, the rest of the field uh, going into this tournament, that's also going to be interesting because there is uh, you know a lot of talk with uh, with Live Golf and the PGA Tour. I guess you get to throw that out all the wi- out, throw that out the window this week, right? For the uh, for the Open because uh, it's pretty much uh, you know everybody can be a part of that. Well, uh, you know the Live Golf was a huge topic of discussion at the U.S. Open until Thursday. And then it was just solely about golf. Uh, Greg Norman was not invited to play in the uh, Legends exhibition today, and he was entitled to as a two-time British Open champion. And, you know, there was some discussion about that. And uh, Lou Golf filed a lawsuit against the PGA today. That was expected. Uh, I, I, this will all be sorted out, and there'll be some sort of compromise, I imagine, reached it at some juncture in the future. I start to think about it, though, Fred. Um, You know, we've seen other leagues over the years compete with every major sport. I mean, baseball, you got to go all the way back to kind of the beginning of the 19th century when the Federal League started and started raiding players and competing, and eventually that dissolved, but it took a while. You had the AFL for the NFL. You had the ABA for the NBA. Um, and we had the uh, WHA for the uh, NHL. So there's always been leagues that thought they could take away some of the uh, monopoly, and it's just taken the, uh, I guess, golf world a little longer with the live golf as opposed to a lot of these other sports leagues. Well, remember there was a challenge to the PGA Tour back in the 70s. Uh, The PGA Tour used to just be known as the PGA Tour, and the PGA of America ran everything. And in the early 70s, there was a splinter group of the tournament players. And we all know there's a vast difference uh, between the jobs of, of the guy, the assistant at Escarity in El Paso and Coronado Country Clubs and the guy that plays tournament golf on the PGA Tour. That used to be all under one umbrella. And it was a very bitter separation mm. uh, when the PGA Tour was formed back uh, in the early 70s. PGA Tour is constantly being sued. Uh, and and this this will eventually be worked out. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but in the meantime, you look at who's going to be playing. Phil's going to be there. Uh, Louis Oosthuizen's going to be there. Dustin Johnson, Sergio Garcia. You got the defending champ as well, uh, Colin Morikawa. It's going to be a fun event. And uh, you tell me, have you had a chance to kind of think a little bit and, and look into maybe uh, the course itself at St. Andrews and, and how it kind of favors uh, some of these golfers, uh, including uh, Rory uh, getting an opportunity to try to win that title? Yeah, I mean, uh, St. Andrews is such a, a wonderful place. It's like uh, walking the golf course four different days, and, and every day you say, oh, that's how that bump is there. That's how you can play that shot. Because uh, in <clears throat> In America, we have Parkland golf courses, which sometimes referred to as bow and arrow courses. You launch the ball high up in the air, lob it over uh, a bunker or a lake, and land it on the green. 
uh, and links golf courses, uh, the wind blows so hard that you play the ball on the ground. You play low bump shots. Uh, you put it from maybe 50 yards off the green. You want to keep it out of the wind. Uh, and the more you learn all those hollows and humps at St. Andrews, it's like a blueprint suddenly uh, appears before your eyes and a, a light or goes off over your head or a bell goes off and you go, oh, I can see that now. And the first time you play St. Andrews, and if you play St. Andrews without the wind, you're, you're going to say, I, I just don't understand what the big fuss is about. I've played better munis uh, in my lifetime. But when the wind blows, and, and, and that's the way uh, St. Andrews is meant to be played, uh, you have to get very, very creative. So look for people uh, that are very creative around the greens. Jordan Spieth, uh, even with his putting troubles of late, uh, always has, has been a good chipper and very creative. I would think he's in play coming off a solid uh, top 10 finish uh, at the Scottish Open. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood uh, has has never won a major, never won in the United States, never won a PGA Tour event. This would be a huge week for him. He showed a little form at the Scottish Open, as did Tony Finau. Uh, and if you want to go for a long shot, uh, Max Homa has been playing very, very good golf. And those are some names that I'm not sure all of our listeners are, are that familiar with. And of course, you know, you, you, you just go down the, the top 10 golfers in the world golf rankings. You expect all of them uh, to, to be in contention. But I would look for someone who's very creative and very good around the greens. Golf course is really firm. Uh, it's like landing it on concrete runways from what uh, people have told me. Uh, there, there may be as many as six, seven holes that players are going to be able to drive. But the wind is supposed to be up at 25 miles per hour, even though we don't have much chance of rain. So it, 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 it's always a really a, a fun watch and listen uh, for me. I'll, I'll be up at midnight. Uh, actually, I just leave it on, uh, the, the tournament on when, when I go to sleep. And it's playing while I sleep and you catch little things drifting in and out of sleep. So uh, I, I really like the, the Open Championship. On the lines, uh, on the same lines, Fred, of the short game being so important, does that throw Will Zalatoris out of the mix? I, I mean, after the U.S. Open, I, I talked to you about his third, second place finish at a major. I, I'm just waiting for Will to finally win a major. Yeah, not at all. I mean, he's such a good ball striker uh, that he is able to flight his ball and work it both ways. Uh, I would think he's in play uh, this week. The problem is uh, you have gigantic greens. I think one green, double green, is 37,000 square feet. Uh, so think of your house, and a good-sized house is 3,000 square feet. So more than 10 times the size of your house. Uh, that, that's how big some of these double greens are. And the greens are so much slower than what Americans are used to, and that's because the wind blows so hard. If the greens were prepped to roll out at, at 12 on the stint meter, uh, the balls would never hold their position on the golf green. So I would think a, a lot of Americans traditionally go over there and never quite hit the ball hard enough. It is an adjustment. I will tell you this, that uh, bad putters perform better on slow greens. Huh. All right. It's good to know. Uh, Xander Shoffley's been hot. He just won the Scottish Open over the weekend, and he's uh, you know right now trying to get that momentum and carry it over into the, uh, into the Open Championship. How does his game translate to, to what you're going to see at St. Andrews? Uh, he's been tremendous. Uh, you know, he, he, he not just uh, won the Scottish Open, but two weeks ago he won the Travelers mm -hmm. uh, coming off the U.S. Open. And how does his game travel overseas? Well, he's the defending Olympic champion, having won in Japan just about uh, a year ago. No, uh, all kinds of confidence, all kinds of ability. And you see that every once in a while. Uh, he went more than three years without winning. 
uh, and then won a team event in New Orleans with Patrick Cantlay as his partner uh, right after the Masters. Uh, and from there, he's, he's been spot on. And sometimes it just takes a little jolt of confidence. Uh, and, and Xander has an awful lot of confidence right now. Absolutely, his name's in play. You said something so cool, the fact that you go to sleep with it on. I've, you know, in all the years I've watched sports, I've always turned it off when I go to sleep. And I wonder, like, if one night I ever, just as an experiment, my wife would hate me for this, but let's say I keep the MLB network on completely overnight. I wonder if I would dream about baseball because I would be hearing it in the background while I'm sleeping. You know, uh, I first started doing that uh, when the Cardinals came from behind and won the World Series against the Rangers in 2011. And back then they just looped SportsCenter uh, all night long. And so I was up at my parents' house in St. Louis, and I just left ESPN on all night. And throughout the night, I would just kept, kept getting pieces of the game and highlights and interviews. And I've done that for a long time uh, with the Open Championship. It's hard to do because most sporting events don't start at 12 o'clock um, mountain time, Steve, 12 at midnight. But uh, and the Open Championship gives you the opportunity to, to leave it on. And, uh, you know, you'll hear like something, you'll hear roaring named Tiger Woods, and you'll wake up and you'll watch for like 10 minutes, and then you'll fall back asleep. Uh, if, if you want, you know, I also tape it so that mm-hmm. I can fill in the gaps. But uh, if you marry a professional golfer, they're much more obliging to that strategy, Steve. Do you find that you have golf dreams, Fred? I mean, as a result of that, do you dream about golf because it's on? Uh, I, don't, I don't find myself dreaming about golf because of that. I, I usually dream about golf, uh, and, you know, it's one of those frustration dreams, like, uh, I still dream that it's um, that it's like five minutes until I, I go on the air at Channel Nine. I don't have anything written, and I run out on the set, and I say, "Just frame me up, and I'm going to ad lib everything." Or I dream that I'm going to take a test in college, and uh, I, I I I haven't opened a book the the whole semester. My golf dreams are usually like uh, I'm in a house with a golf club, and I have to hit a ball through a window, or or something like, or or I. I or I'm on the tee and I keep whiffing and I can't hit it. It's usually one of those dreams of frustration when, when I dream about golf. Man, I hear you. By the way, how many years since you've been on Channel 9? Uh, last was, uh, well, it's five years now? Six years. That, Six. That's... That to yeah. me, yeah, that that's the mind blower when you realize that you've you've already been off uh, off off nine, uh, you know, more than five six years now. It's it's crazy to think about how uh, how the time just how the time just continues to go, Freddie. Yeah, I'm 66, uh, so you know it just goes so quickly. I I really wanted to make 40 consecutive years uh, doing sports in El Paso, and I just wasn't uh, able to get away with it. But uh, 34 years was a uh, 36 years was a, a, a really good uh, good run. I wish I was still doing it. We don't always get to do uh, what we want, but I'm having a really good time uh, with this golf. Were you out of town during Lovell's retirement? Because I know he mentioned you when he was on the show that uh, you know he came in uh, to work with you when he first came into El Paso in the early 80s. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because I, uh, I called up my boss and I said, listen, I'm, I'm a little light. Could you give me another couple events? And he said, well, how about, uh, do you want to go up to Memorial? I'd love to go to Memorial in Columbus, Jack Nicklaus Tournament. So he gave me that. And then, you know, two months later, uh, Kevin Lovell says, hey, you got to come to my goodbye party. Well, after you've asked your boss to, you know, put you in an event and he does it, I can't call him up, 
you know, six weeks before and say, oh, by the way, that event you gave me, I, I, I'm not going to be able to work. So Kevin knew for a long time that I wouldn't be able to come, and I cut a little video for him. Uh, Kevin and I are still uh, the, the best of friends. That's awesome. Well, listen, enjoy your time in El Paso before you go back on the road. Thanks for giving us uh, your picks and favorites for uh, the Open Championship this weekend. We're excited about it. And, uh, again, always great catching up with you on the program, Fred. Anytime. Thanks for asking. 150th Open uh, starting Thursday. Fred Albers is with us, PGA Tour Radio, as we continue here on Sports Talk. 19 past. Let's go to Charlie. We'll come back with plenty more, including your phone calls. Next, 600 ESPN El Paso. 6009. You can also tweet the show at 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. That's at 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. Matt Norlander will join us in our 6 o'clock hour to talk about the news he broke today involving the WAC and college basketball and how they're going to use Ken Palm to uh, seed their teams into their own tournament which I know some fans like, some don't. But uh, I guess, you know why I think people don't like it? Because Ken Palm, I don't want to say he's an outsider, but, you know, the net rankings is the official rankings of the NCAA. And Ken Palm's been doing his for years, but no conference has ever really endorsed Palm like this until the wax started. No, you're exactly you're 100% right on this and I feel like it's very controversial. Ken Palm has worked on these advanced analytics for years and years and years. And at first it was men, met with a ton of apprehension. No one wanted to adopt any of these advanced analytic models or or even look at them. But then smart teams started to take uh you know into consideration what he was writing about and as we've seen basketball has changed you see a lot more three-point shots you see a few you know slower uh or you see um you know quick possessions uh and fast breaks where they they yep. try to get a, a score or a shot attempt up as soon as possible those are as a result those are uh things that ken palm has highlighted over years uh through his services so i, I find it real interesting i do too i do too we need to get ken palm on the program down the road which hopefully we will but i will say that I'm looking forward to having uh, Matt on the program uh, in our 6 o'clock hour to talk about this particular subject. All right. Also, speaking of colleges, and uh, now let's move on to conference realignment. Interesting read from David Cobb at CBSSports.com a little earlier talking about the Pac-12 and how the Pac-12's media rights deal is set to expire in 2024 while the Big Ten is negotiating a new media rights deal that, get this, Adrian, could exceed a billion dollars annually. Annually a billion dollars. So the Pac-12, now you wonder what's going to happen with uh, their league and and how things are going to work, and that's also... Uh, a really interesting uh, thing because they're they're looking into their potential partnerships, seeing what they can do. And thus far, the Big 12 hasn't yet been able to poach the Pac-12 like it was rumored uh, last week. That's real weird. It, it's real interesting. All the rumors also. I, I always, um, you know, I'm always hesitant to believe a lot of these rumors, Steve, unless it's uh, Pete Thamel saying that uh, a conference is taking, uh, you know, a couple different universities from a different conference. Those are the only rumors or, or notes that I'll take into consideration. But, you know, you hear all these kinds of things over the weekend about TV deal meetups, the, the dollar amounts that are being thrown around. Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, resorting to cold calling Oregon. Uh, you know, for Oregon uh, through the Pac-12, this I'm is not ridiculous. Surprised. Listen, 
Phil Knight would show up at the at the Assemble games in El Paso when Oregon played. He is the biggest Oregon fan and booster, and he will always do something on their behalf uh, if it if it if it helps. Uh, you know their status. That's what Phil Knight does. It's what he's always done. I hope Phil Knight can one day own a sports team. I know it's a big conflict of interest. I mean, talk about one of the biggest conflicts of interest you could have, but it'd be kind of interesting to have somebody that invested in your own organization like that. I agree with you. All right, bottom of the hour, middle of the show. We'll come back with more in a moment. 505-6009 as we send it back to Adrian in this Sports Center update. Thank you, Adrian. Um, it seems like everybody's waiting on Notre Dame right now. That seems to be the number one uh, team that ultimately is going to – all the dominoes are going to fall when Notre Dame decides what they want to do. And Notre Dame is taking their time. They don't – I don't even know if they know yet where they want to go, what they want to do. How about the fact that the SEC wants to stay at 16? And the SEC does not want to grow beyond the number it is right now. Not surprised with that with the SEC. In fact, uh, I would well, I would be curious if the SEC would want to go through something like regular uh, regulation where they have they, they get Vanderbilt, they get Kentucky, uh, Kentucky in football, and they say, hey, you guys have to play your way in, or like Tennessee. I'm just making up teams right there, but I'm just thinking, if anything, the SEC would probably want to kick out teams, uh, the bottom dwellers of their conference, instead of inherit more. Don't you think? I do. Now here's the question for me: If Notre Dame joins the Big Ten. The SEC feels they can stay at 16. Well, if Notre Dame doesn't join the Big Ten, where else would they go? Would they like would the SEC make an exception if Notre Dame wanted to go to the SEC? That's an interesting question. I I think maybe so just based on all the money that they bring to the table, their fan base and stuff like that, the matchups that you might get out of that, Texas versus Notre Dame. You have Alabama going up against Notre Dame, Auburn, Notre Dame. I like those matchups right there. But I I still find uh, Notre Dame, their fit with the Big Ten or the ACC possibly as, as two better fits. Well, listen, if Notre Dame chooses the ACC, then the ACC survives. Like, that is the decision that could ultimately keep the ACC in the same ball, like in, in the same discussion as the Big Ten. If not, and and uh, Notre Dame goes to the uh, to the Big Ten, then I know the ACC still has Clemson, and they still have you know schools like Florida State, but it doesn't have the same impact anymore. It's almost like it's things are lost. And if the SEC doesn't want to expand then guess what? Then there's no place that um, these ACC schools can go unless the Big 12 just goes crazy and uh, turns into some uh, monster league, which I don't necessarily see. No, I don't, because the Big 12 is as disorganized as, as you know Conference USA and leagues like that, or the Pac-12. That's why I feel like the Big 12, Pac-12 are still in a tier below uh, all these other conferences, and that's still with the ACC kind of waiting in limbo right now. None of their affiliates have been poached away for, by the SEC or the Big 10 or, or the Big 12 for that matter. So if it stays like that, if they are somehow able to get Notre Dame and say, hey, we've got two big fish here, we've got or three, maybe four if you want to include Miami, Florida State, Miami, Clemson, and Notre Dame, not a bad conference, Steve, not a bad conference. And the other question is, if let's just say uh, the Big Ten does not look to take um, Oregon and Washington, and they stay in the Pac-12. Does that suddenly keep the Arizona schools, along with um, Utah and Colorado, 
in the Pac-12, and then they look to take a couple maybe from the Mountain West versus merge in with the Big 12 like we've like we've thought? Yeah, if I'm if I'm the Pac-12, I'm throwing alliances away. All these alliances are what what got you to this point. You you saw USC and UCLA being taken away from one of your former alliance members in the Big Ten. So if I'm the Pac-12, I'm on an island myself, and I'm looking at that Mountain West and thinking, yeah, I'm good with Boise State. I'm good with San Diego State. I'm good to expand with some of the premier teams out of that conference and stick with uh, the Pac-12 to make it stay afloat. Because if they do that. There's really no difference between the Pac-12 and the Big 12. Look where the Big 12 went. They went AAC and BYU. And you want to know something? If the Pac-12 goes Mountain West, what's the difference? They're rating from the same type of league to replenish the teams they've lost. So I think the Big 12 wants to take those four schools because they realize, A, it'll cripple the Pac-12, and B... It'll make them a legitimate, more legitimate, a stronger league. It will. I mean, are they ACC strong? I would say yes, probably better than the ACC. But they're not Big Ten and they're not SEC. So I am fascinated to see where everything goes from here. Sink or swim right now if you're a conference affiliate. It's either you acquire teams and you are acquire universities and you give the best sales pitch out to them or you turn on the other side and you fold. You fold as a league, you fold as a conference, and you say, hey, it's it's up to the big dogs right now to, to keep things going. I just don't know if I see a huge advantage for the four Pac-12 schools to go Big 12 versus stay in the Pac-12. That's that's my question. Is I mean, the schools that came in are are not, you know, they're they're all group of 5 schools for the for, you know, at least now. And they'll they'll go up to Power 5 because they'll go big they'll or they'll go up to whatever they're called. I don't know what they're going to be called. I think we're going to get rid of Power 5 because I think that we're going to have the Power 2 once the SEC and Big 10 are done and the smoke clears. And then we'll have like we'll have all these tiers. That's the way it's going to be. And the bit uh, whether it's the Big Twelve or the Pac Twelve, they'll never be on the same. Um, you know, they'll never be in the same discussion as the Big Ten and and the SEC. So what does it matter? Why would you want to pay all those all that money in exit fees if you could just stay put and um, you know exist as a league that's on par with the league that's trying to bring you in? I really don't know who the premier university is in the Big 12 left after Texas and OU leave. Is it Kansas? You you just hang your hat on Kansas Not for, for football. basketball? No, I mean, I mean for, for football, who? Oklahoma State? That's the one you get excited about? Uh, you, you really sell a Houston product or you go out to Florida and you really sell that UCF team? Maybe. maybe you're going to laugh, but you want to know something? Without a doubt. It's not even close. The best football-basketball combination in the, in the Big 12 is going to be Texas Tech. Yeah, no, I'm not. I can't laugh. It's true. It's true. I mean, Lubbock is now the hub of Big Twelve sports. Now TCU has been good in the past. Houston intrigues me, even though it's a pro city and nobody really takes Houston as seriously as they should because it's a pro town. So yeah, there are some really interesting elements in play with all this conference shuffling talk that we're hearing right now. Twenty in front of six. As we continue here on Sports Talk at uh, 505-6009, 
our telephone number. Before we go to break, let's go to Mark. He'll join us next. Hey, Mark, thanks for the call. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me on. Sure, Mark. Uh, I know the discussion, the discussion is between which one would be the, the better league at this point, and I think it's hands down the Big 12. The Pac-12, if you guys remember, it was a running joke as to the attendance at the UCLA uh, football game the beginning of the season, and that was one of the premier teams. I mean, if you compare that to even the passion of a Kansas State, uh, where they're packed every every Saturday, or a Texas Tech, or a TCU, like it's hands down the better football product. Period. And basketball is the Big Twelve, so the Big Twelve would be doing a huge favor for Arizona and Colorado to, and you know, little buff buff up buff, buff up everything. I really don't think it's really of a comparison at this point. You know, it's interesting because with the additions now of the TCU's and the Houston, uh, the Houston's, I should say, and Cincinnati. Uh, and Central Florida, you look at the markets they're in, and you just lost Southern California. You lost the L.A. market, which is rough. But as far as the Pac-12 goes, I mean, Phoenix is a big market. Seattle's a good market. San Francisco is a good market. Um, but other than that, and, and, you know, other than that, you really don't have a lot of other places that that are huge markets compared to where the Big 12 is. And you're right, they draw better. But don't let's not discount Oregon football and the people they put into their stadium for their games. Arizona State usually draws really well in Tempe. Stanford draws well for football. So I mean, and then you know, um, you look at some of these other teams. So yeah, I get about UCLA and USC, but sometimes the schools that aren't necessarily your major schools, they do the best when it comes to attendance. Right, absolutely, and I think that's something that we're kind of forgetting here is. I guess you can call it the passion of the fans. Uh, it, it just seems way more passionate over there in the Big 12 market than you have in the Pac-12. Maybe because there's a lot more to do on the West Coast. But, you know, as far as football is concerned, I really think that's something that we might be forgetting, the tradition and the passion Good point. Uh, along with the fans. Good point, Mark. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks for getting in. 42 passes. We continue. Adrian, you agree with Mark? Uh, more passion in the Big 12 than the Pac-12? I, I can see where he's going with that. I think when you're watching Big 12 kickoff on Saturdays, you're you're seeing a lot more fans in the stands at times uh, than a you know a Cal football game or, or something like a Washington State football game. I understand, but I think uh, you know the markets are just gone nowadays. I think you can be a Texas Longhorn fan and live in L.A. You can be an Oregon football fan and live in El Paso, Texas. That's just the way we consume college football nowadays. It's more of a national product yeah. versus a market-to-market product. But don't you also think because of uh, the uh, growth of digital media, we now have an on-demand platform for any sport, any team we want to watch? Exactly. So travel really doesn't mean much. Like yeah. You don't have to travel and watch your team all the time. You can watch them on any streaming platform. 17 in front of 6. The Sports Talk continues. When we come back, wrap up hour number 2 and look ahead to our final hour where we'll talk a little bit more about college sports with Matt Norlander as we continue here, 600 ESPN El Paso. Oh, we had Jim Ward earlier. Now X minus one reactor. I like this. I haven't played this song in a while, so it's back in rotation. Nine in front of six as sports talk continues. Pinky on Santa Teresa getting in with us on a couple of baseball messages while he's listening on the mobile app powered by United Bank. Max is facing each other. Mets Scherzer versus Braves Freed. It's pretty exciting. See what happens. See if uh, Robertson Cano can give the Braves some intel on the Mets with that big series coming up. 
And then Picky followed up with this one. Was so glad the San Francisco Giants didn't get under 500 this weekend, especially against the San Diego team. Pretty good series there, by the way. Very good series, Steve. Very good baseball just all, all throughout the weekend. You had Yankees and Red Sox just going at it. Every game was just a, mat, a, a war. And the way that the Red Sox rallied back yesterday, uh, I mean, if you're a Yankees fan, you, you must be really frustrated on, on how that one uh, ended up. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Um, you had a big lead. You couldn't protect it. Bullpen was garbage. Um, Fielding was bad. LeMayu, yeah, come LeMay- on, twice, man. twice, should, and they both should have been errors on LeMayu. They give him any errors on those two plays? You, you know what? That's a great question because the first one was definitely a single. I know for sure that one yep. was. So, and I was arguing with Lou Romano. I said that's an error. Yeah, and and Lou goes, "Boy, if it was a Met, if it was Mets and Lindor, would it be an error?" I said, "Of course, it would be an error. Just because it's my team doesn't mean I would suddenly show favoritism." Yeah, it's an error. So now let me take a look at the box score from yesterday. No, they didn't give LeMahieu. Oh, did they? Let me see here. Hang on, hang on. No, they didn't give LeMahieu a single wow. error on either of those two plays. Clearly errors. I mean, he was calling for it on both of them. He thought he had it. The second one was just embarrassing. Like, how do you how do you come back after that one? You just shake your head. So the first one was a tough play, right? But here's the thing. It hit him in the webbing. To me, if a ball hits you in the glove, no matter how difficult the play is, whether your back is to the field or whatever, but if the ball hits you square in the webbing and you can't catch it, it's an error. That's right. It's kind of like the the whole saying in football: if it touches your hands, you got to catch it. You know, you you have to have you have to be able to catch that, and you have to be able to make the play. And I'm especially, with you. you know, on the second one, it's it's you know a total mental thing at that point because if you're not able to make that catch, it, it just got they got to you. The Red Sox fans got to you at that point, Lemayhew. Now I'm with you. I think the same thing. So don't worry. I'm by, I'm I'm behind you. We're on the same page there, man. We really are. Uh, Fifty four now past the hour as the sports talk continues, winding up hour two of three. When we come back, Matt Norlander is going to join us from CBS Sports, talk about what the WAC's doing for basketball. It's different. It's fresh. It's innovative. Listen, say what you want about the WAC the way it is now. It's always been kind of that cutting-edge league, and now they're doing it again. So Matt will lead off our final hour right here. It's 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here, our final hour together. He's Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Uh, welcome back to Sports Talk, folks. You know, today's focus of the show has a lot of it's been on college sports. We've been very college heavy today. I like it, Adrian. It's been good so far. It's about to get even better. Oh, yeah, Steve. Let's talk some advanced analytics when it comes to conference basketball standings. Looking forward to having uh, Matt Norlander with us uh, on the program. In fact, uh, you can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Norlander, senior writer, analyst, podcaster for uh, CBS Sports, and he gives us a few minutes uh, here on the program today. Happy Monday, Matt. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for the time. My pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. You bet. Um, I'm, I'm happy you wrote the article earlier today about the WAC because I remember not that long ago a time when the WAC used to be known as a pretty innovative conference. They would do things different than a lot of other leagues. They expanded, which, of course, grew so big that it formed the Mountain West, and the WAC broke apart, and now the WAC doesn't even resemble what it used to be like uh, some 20-plus years ago, Matt. But this new idea of how they're going to seed their teams around uh, college basketball's, uh, you know, uh, conference tournament it is interesting it's different it's innovative and apparently it's a little controversial 
It is. Okay, so I know you've been talking about it on your show, but I'll try and man, I'll try and pare this down as much as I possibly can. So the most important thing to remember and keep in mind is that on a fundamental level, nothing is really changing all that much. You still have to win the games, and if you win, you get credit for those games, and if you lose, you get dinged for those games. Also, the WAC is a 14-team conference. They are going to have 12 of the 14 teams qualify for the league tournaments in basketball and men's and women's. Getting into the tournaments, let me be clear about this, getting in will remain the traditional path. The 12 best conference records get into the tournament. There's, they have a tiebreaker situation that there's you know, 12, 13, but that's a lot of that uh, previously established stuff. Once you are in the field, once you qualify via your traditional conference record, then you are seated based upon how you have performed against your entire schedule. And the reason the WAC is doing this, I obviously spoke with Commissioner Brian Thornton and Associate Commissioner Drew Spira, a couple of former college basketball coaches themselves. The reason for this is if you are a one-bid league, it gives you the best chance at the best outcome to send your best team to the NCAA tournament while at the same time still holding a conference tournament, and that will produce some somewhat random outcomes. You're not guaranteed to have your number one seeded team or number two seeded team get the auto bid, but you are more likely if, if the teams that have actually proven it for the entire season get there and are seeded first or second. So, And even still, despite that, by the way, they are changing the WAC basketball tournament so it's no longer the top seeds get auto buys into the semis. Now those teams will need to win three games in order to advance along and uh, and get the auto bid. So there's plenty we can get into from there, but I think a lot of people saw the headline, maybe read some of the story, and drew inaccurate conclusions about what the WAC is doing. Yes, it's bold. Yes, it's unprecedented. But it is actually not drastically going to change the way that the conference will seed its teams in its basketball tournament. Like if there's a, an example in the story, there would be a couple of differences from last year's end-of-season standings if you use this algorithm mm -hmm. that they're going to use. There would be some differences, but what this is doing is making up for the fact that there are unbalanced schedules, and there should be some ways to better quantify that because as coaches in leagues that have unbalanced schedules will gripe about privately all the time, you know, sometimes you are the, what you're playing against is three or four games considered tougher than three or four other teams that might be lower, you know, or elsewhere in the league. So that's kind of an encapsulation of what the WAC's doing. I personally love it. It's only one of 32 conferences doing this. This wouldn't work or need to be done at the power conference level. But if you're the WAC, you want to stand out, you want to try something different, I commend the conference on, on taking this approach and certainly experimenting it with it. And they say this is going to be a permanent thing. If they need to tweak, they will. But there's no indication this is a one- or two-year experiment. This is the, this is the policy uh, going forward for the conference, and I think it's a good thing. Matt Norlander with us again from CBSSports.com as we continue here on Sports Talk. All right, first off, Ken Pomeroy's been at this forever. He's doing this a long, long time, and this is the first time that I can recall that a conference is actually taking his ratings and incorporating that into 
a possible formula for seeding teams. I think it's great because teams should take Ken Palm's numbers a little more seriously than maybe some do. And in this particular uh, example, the WAC feels that they want to put him into a same algorithm with the NCAA's net rankings. And and again, that's also something that I really liked about this and that uh, Ken Ken's getting uh, so, some good, uh, well-deserved uh, recognition out of this. Yeah, I mean, Pomeroy knows what he's doing. Super smart guy. His rankings have become gospel, and they are as referenced as the net rankings, frankly, even though the NCAA owns the net rankings uh, alongside their proprietors with Google Cloud. And so we hear about the net, but Kempom is used just as much and is considered as credible, if not more credible. That's a whole other separate discussion. The, the West Coast Conference actually used Kempom's rankings and a formula during COVID to help them again, compensate for an unbalanced schedule amid a lot of different cancellations and irregular conference totals to say, well, one team might have played 16 league games, another team played 11. How do we make up for this discrepancy? And Ken Palmer actually guided the WCC on that. This is different from that, but, you know, it's it's the same church, different pew, so to speak. And, yeah, like, okay, so I don't want to get too – complex on the listeners here. Oh, but by the way, this isn't even that this isn't even that complicated. I understand the second you say the phrase advanced analytics, there's a certain segment of the sports population that will immediately tune it out. A lot of this is just generally basic. And what the heart of it is this. And this is a reality that players and coaches and athletic directors and people involved in sports will attest to across the board, but sports fans have come to accept a zero-sum outcome for, you know, decades, generations, 100 years. It's win or loss. One team wins, one team loses. But the reality, coaches and players will tell you, is wins are not created equally, and neither are losses. Wins against tougher teams are considered in locker rooms, you know, on they're considered much greater achievements because sure. they are. So within that framework, the WAC is simply saying, and I, I'll, I'll basically, I'll, I'll try and, let me see if I can explain this to you real basic. Nah, yeah. listen, okay, listen, so. listen. As far as I'm concerned, make it as complicated as possible. Because, I, number one, I give my listeners a lot of credit. They're smarter than most average listeners, would you realize. They follow UTEP and NMSU like crazy. They get it. So if you want to throw this into the normal, uh, your normal speak, if you're talking to a colleague, go for it. Because as far as I'm concerned, I've got 45 minutes to decipher what you said to them. Don't worry about trying to dumb it down. Here's the deal. Every single game that the basketball teams play in men's and women's, they will have a valuation of 1.0, okay? And that 1.0 represents a 100% outcome. The game will have a winner and a loser. That is a 100% guarantee. But depending on how good the team is, that's how likely you would be, and depending on how good you are, that's how likely you would be to win that game against that team. So, for example, if a WAC team last season played Creighton, Creighton was regarded as the 50th best team at Ken Palm last season, okay? That means, on average, the 150th best team in the country, which is a baseline Ken Palm is using because you are trying to say what a WAC team's likelihood would be to win in these certain situations. At home, the chances that you would beat Creighton at home, a WAC team, 150th. 
was 67.9%. Okay. Which means if you were to win that game against Creighton at home, which isn't going to happen, WAC team's not going to get Creighton play out there, we, what we're saying there, you'd get plus .679 in the standings. If you lost, you would get dinged, but you would only lose minus .321. Now, yeah. the road one is really more applicable here. If a WAC team went on the road and played the 50th-ranked team and they won, they would be expected to lose that game 84.4% of the time. But if you win it, that's exactly your reward is .844 points. Okay? After every single game that you play as a WAC men's or women's basketball team, you will either get rewarded for winning or you will get dinged for losing. And this will be a season-long tally. And at the end of the regular season, there will be a team that's on top, and that team will be seeded first, and then the team that's seeded second will be second and third and fourth and onward. All that the values that are going to go in this, WAC resume seating system slash bonus column. The league standings will look different than any other league standings you've seen, but there still will be wins and losses represented. They won't be that alien. Yes. But the bonus points are decimals that are directly tied to the percentage likelihood that the 150th team in the country would have winning in that scenario. And because you are doing this, you are then rewarding or penalizing the teams in that position and then incentivizing them to try and schedule a little bit better because if you load up in the non-conference, and I understand a lot of WAC teams will have certain troubles getting some games. That's not really what this is about. But if you completely load up on non-D1 teams or lower-end teams, then you are not going to have a lot of rewards to, to beating bad teams. Yes, if you go 25-6, and six, you're gonna, you're going to move up in the standings. That's so many wins that it will eventually help you. But there is a balance to be uh, stricken between scheduling way too easily and actually trying to challenge yourself with potential rewards. Because again, if you play a top 40 team, you'll be expected to lose the WAC team. And if you do lose, yes, you will get dinged, but you will not be dinged as potentially as severely as just simply a zero sum win or loss outcome. Okay, I follow you completely. And if my listeners are confused, don't worry, i got plenty of time to explain it to them. Matt Norlander here with us right now, cbssports.com. Uh, first question, the bonus factor, is that the entire body of work or is that just the non-conference schedule? I'll be quick on this. It's the entire body of work, and the reason why it's the entire body of work is that the WAC is trying, as it should, to send the best team possible to the NCAA tournament, because, yeah, there's a chance maybe, again, the WAC could be a multi-bid league, but it is a one-bid league. You want to send the best team possible, and the best reflection of that reality is to incorporate how that team performed in the non-conference against the rest of the sport. This is not an abnormal concept. We have tiebreakers and, and um, schedule analysis like this in the NFL. It happens in college football with, like, opponents. It happens in Major League Baseball. So while this has not been a thing for conference evaluation in major college basketball, it actually is a normal thing and has been for literally years at yep. the professional level. No, to me, it makes total sense. I get that. I, I really do. And I love the example you showed. New Mexico State, for those of you wondering, folks, had a bonus schedule that was or a bonus point value that was almost double, double what the uh, second uh, team on that list was, which was uh, Grand Canyon. And I thought that was really interesting when you started to you know equate the number of victories um, and, and the bonus uh, structure over the course uh, of the full season. And also interesting was the fact that 
uh, Sam Houston State, although a 13 and five mark put them near you know near the top, still had a bonus uh, towards the middle uh, of the league in general. So they did not uh, find themselves nearly as high as let's say a Utah Valley. Uh, or Seattle, despite the fact they had nearly as many wins. So that's also a pretty interesting way of looking at it when you start to analyze this whole thing. I love it. I, I mean, it's cool. Will the whack be uh, transparent throughout the season and include the bonus points with the records? Yes, they will. Um, okay, so one thing I didn't touch upon in my story, which isn't a big deal, but I'm actually curious to see how this is going to work is yes, the WAC is going to be transparent. Now, the NCAA, how do I, how do I phrase this? They are using a Ken Palm formula, but the values of these teams and where the teams are ranked will be off of the net because it's the official NCAA sorting tool, and they want it to closely, more closely correspond with, with the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee, and I get all that. But the, the, the one thing about that is the NCAA does not release its net rankings for public consumption until somewhere, it depends on how the schedule starts each year, but it's basically between like December 3rd and December 10th every season. They basically want to get enough games in because the net on day four, you have some team ranked 14th that's going to ultimately be outside the top 100. I, the NCAA just wants to avoid any unnecessary public backlash over that, and I get it. But this will provide a hurdle for the WAC initially because it will need access to those net rankings in order to publicly disclose where its teams are in the bonus analytics standings. And I don't foresee the NCAA changing its protocol on publicly revealing the net until early December. And then once it does, it updates every single day and you can see it uh, just like anyone else. Um, But once that does happen, yes, the WAC intends to transparently update the standings every day show you what the values are there, and then there will be at least two league membership, and I think publicly, because why would it not be public? These are literally league standings we're talking about here. Um, You will see the values attached to each team in each game, and that's the other thing to know is that just like what happens in any rating system, if Grand Canyon beats Team X on November 27th, that win might just look like, uh, okay, that team's like 179th right now, but that win could inflate and that team could wind up being ranked 97th by the time we get to Selection Sunday. Or the inverse could happen and that win could drop and that team could be 254th. And so the value of the win in late November will not be the exact value of the win when you, when you get to March, which is how it should be. Teams evolve and you are eventually rating and evaluating teams on their entire body of work, not a snapshot of when the game was played. Matt, trying to localize it a little bit here, New Mexico State, I saw this tweet earlier, they've won all but three WAC tournaments since 2010, which is pretty interesting to kind of think about. This is not a very volatile conference, but when New Mexico State leaves next year to Conference USA, how do you think this new model will set up the WAC tournament uh, for years to come? You know, I thought about this in that New Mexico State's been so good and consistent that and listen, maybe it can continue to be this and really be a Gonzaga light. Maybe it can. But I almost, what's interesting about this is, and there's a, there's a really good window here for NMSU to continue this, but the way this normally goes is eventually the odds flip the way they should, and another team or two will come in 
and New Mexico State might just get, you know, knocked back a peg or two for a year or two and come back. Uh, this could actually, it, you know, don't mistake correlation for causation in this regard. If for whatever reason this new system gets introduced and then New Mexico State, which is undergoing yet another coaching change, it's hard for mid-major programs to sustain this year after year after year. I mean, the Aggies have been able to do it at a level which is truly impressive. Um, I can't help but wonder if actually, and I'm not predicting this will happen, but I'm just I'm kind of wondering out loud, if the WAC doing this, will it continue to help a school like New Mexico State, which can schedule decently enough? Or, you know, there are some pretty good coaches that have come into that league now and – I don't know. It's going to be pretty intriguing. I think the WAC is actually, this is going to be yet another step in getting the WAC back to consistent presence in the top half of college basketball's conference hierarchy. It's just coming off of its best year. And, you know, from a results standpoint, it ranked 15th in the country out of 32 leagues. There was a time, obviously, as you mentioned at the top, where the WAC was regularly you know, a top 10 team. We think about the days when Utah was there and all those schools were there before broke off from the Mountain West. It's never going to get back to that point, but Thornton's a pretty sharp guy, and I do think that the conference is setting itself up for a really good chance at being among the four to seven best one-bid leagues on a year-in, year-out basis, and that's certainly an upgrade from where the conference was five, six years ago. And with that, New Mexico State fans should accept and expect that their program likely will not be so clearly separated from the rest. I think that's probably going to change. Doesn't mean they won't make three of the next NCAA tournaments, but I think with everything that's happening inside the league to to move it forward, I would anticipate league races that are competitive like they were last year, even if this new model will, will show that teams have the capability, if they schedule and get big wins, to separate themselves. Because as you so astutely mentioned, New Mexico State was streets ahead of anyone else in the league last year from an analytics standpoint. From a conference ledger standpoint, we all know what the story was. Matt Norlander has been unbelievable, folks, from CBSSports.com joining us. All right, I got one last question. And uh, I didn't see this in the article, so I'll ask you this real quick. When you... Factor in the games and the values like you talked about and how everything's going to work. Will this also include these Division Two games against weak teams, directional teams that so many leagues like the WAC, these schools need to put and fill out their schedule? And if so, how will that work? Will not include those games. It will act just like the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee when it comes to evaluating this. If you play a non-D1 game, that game, it doesn't matter if you win it 100 to 74 or 100 to 24. It is not part of your resume. It's not included. It will not be included here. Uh, the, the biggest obvious reason for that being those teams are not in the net rankings, period. Uh, yep. The teams outside of the D1 infrastructure. So I did talk with Drew Spiro about this, uh, Spiro about this very thing, and it is a way. Now, understandably so. There are teams that are, you know, in the bottom half of the whack that will need a couple of those games. But the math should help balance this. And by that, I mean, if you, want, if you need to take a game or two of that, that's fine. Go ahead. You are not improving your standing by playing a team that you would have replaced that non-D1 with and playing a D1 team and winning and getting more points. 
but you're also not dropping at all because you're not potentially losing that game and then dropping further down. But they are doing it in part to have teams not schedule three or four non-D1s, if at all possible. And, you know, this wasn't universally met with praise or approval. There were people that pushed back. Coaches are creatures of habit, and they don't like change. But I do think this is a good thing for a, for a one-bid league. And for a, a conference like the WAC, which is trying as best it can, and this, I'll, I'll just end on this, it is trying to get teams, and really a team, into the NCAA tournament with the best seed possible. New Mexico State did it again last year. They were a 12 seed. They almost beat Auburn a few years ago. When you win a game in the tournament, it is big-time money for your conference. And it is simply smart business to both continue to have a conference tournament that brings in money and television revenue. Obviously, we understand that. But to also just approach this in a way that is a bit more accurate and a reflection of reality of the strength of your teams so that you are not stacking the deck for any team, but you are simply saying the data shows us this team should be the number one seed because from November until the end of the regular season, the quality of wins, they add up. Inside the conference, outside the conference, they should be the one seed. They've proven it over the course of four months. They give us the best chance at getting into the tournament and pulling off an upset, which means better things for our conference. Um, I will not be surprised if we look up in two years and at least one or two other leagues aren't doing this because ultimately it's simply smarter business practice to increase your chances of winning the NCAA tournament games, giving your conference better, frankly, better PR, but really more money which all these leagues outside of, you know, the big, big boys, which aren't turning down money, but they don't, they don't need it the way the WAC does. You're right. I expect Conference USA to start doing this as soon as Mocha gets in and starts telling the league what they did last year in the WAC. And trust me, he'll be the first one to try to promote this over at Conference USA when NMSU moves next year. Uh, Matt, terrific stuff. Follow Matt Norlander, folks, on Twitter at Matt Norlander. And check out his article, WAC Altering Basketball Tournament Formats by Introducing Bold New Seating Concept based on advanced analytics. It's up right now at cbssports.com. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for taking so much time with us today, Matt. Thank you, guys. Have a nice night. You too. We'll come back with plenty more right after Charlie won. He's got a traffic update, 26 past, as we continue. Thank you, Adrian. Appreciate that as we continue here on the show. 32 now past the hour. All right, looking at some of the tweets coming in. Esteban tweets the show. The math is simple and straightforward, so it's not really advanced analytics. Uh, Listen, I'm going to say this. I think a lot of you followed where Matt Norlander was going. Some of you might not. It got a little interesting when he started talking about all the values. I like the fact that there's no Division II um, games in there, meaning if you lose to a Division II team, it's not going to hurt you, just like winning against a Division II team is not going to help you. Yeah, and again, this is a very safe conference to do it in in the WAC. Uh, I cited that stat earlier. New Mexico State has won every WAC tournament since 2010, all but three. So all but three times in that stretch. So this is a team who's probably going to win another one here and once the Aggies leave it leaves it kind of leaves this model up to work itself out this model will uh, pin all the league's members in the right seating that it finds fit once the season's over and the tournament's getting ready to start I agree with you I agree with you completely with that one so uh, keep an eye on it folks Uh, it's uh, 
it's going to be a fun one to see how it goes. And, and boy, when you look at the example, though, last year and see how far ahead New Mexico State was over everybody in that league, it was pretty sho- – I wouldn't say shocking. We knew the Aggies played a better schedule and had that good a team, and that, uh, that metric just showed it. Right, and I, I feel like you just look at Ken Palm specifically and just see how the Aggies were valued there. 80th overall last year by Ken Palm. I mean, that's way, way better than anybody else out of the out of the whack. Uh, you had teams like Stephen F. Austin trend well at times last year, but no one even close uh, to the team a team like New Mexico State. Are you surprised that Greg Heyer was talking about his schedule, non-conference schedule, and said that they can't find home games. Said, quote, we've reached out to 70-plus schools already that are high-level schools. We can't get a bye game, let alone a home game. Nobody wants to play the Aggies. That's the problem right now. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised about this. I, I've heard Joe Golding talk about this before and just uh, his struggles in scheduling at times. It's it's tough to convince teams, high caliber or even caliber teams, like you know average teams, to come out here to West Texas or in that case for New Mexico State, Southern New Mexico. It's tough to get them to come out there for buy games or things like you know home and homes. I mean, forget the the days of home and home. That's just out the door it it seems like those deals are just not those don't happen anymore like we used to see in college uh, sports yeah that's true that is true and then you think about um you know schools that you would love to play that aren't going to play you that's the question you know we need to get greg on the show and talk to him specifically about scheduling and 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 i would love to get i'd like to get greg and joe together and have them both talk about how tough it is to schedule for the aggies and the miners i think that'd be a really interesting discussion i do too i feel like with those teams they're they're known to have a lot of fans in the stands they're no i mean by other you know college basketball ma- uh, measures they're known to have tough competitive teams if you're a team out of the mid majors or if you're a team out of the power 5 and utep or nmsu is calling you you might hang up that phone pretty quickly knowing who you're going up against in El Paso or Las Cruces traveling here. Long are long gone are the days of, you know, teams actually challenging each other in non-conference yeah. play. They want to win. They want to get the the best way uh the, the best best path to success and wins as they can. Somebody else mentioned, well, how did Gonzaga do it years ago when they were coming up versus now? I mean, that's a good question. I think that I just think that, you know what? 25 years ago versus now, I think teams now are more afraid than ever to, to lose non-conference games. Where 25 years ago, most of these coaches still had the uh, the, the philosophy they want to play the best there is. They weren't you know they weren't afraid of of the up and comers that were the smaller programs uh, just because they were starting to win. Whereas now, I feel like everybody's pretty much afraid. Although one year, I got to tell you a quick story. This is funny. You'll like this. Okay. When I first started, like late, I don't know, mid mid to late nineties, think let me think about this for a second. Haskins retired after like right before the ninety nine season, so this had to be like ninety seven, okay? And I'm on the radio, and we're talking about UTEP's basketball schedule that year and how weak the non conference play is. All right, so I get a phone call, and it's from the um, at that time it was the it was Don Haskins' secretary. She called me and said, um, Coach Haskins would really like you to come by and uh, talk uh, about the scheduling uh, situation that you discussed ever so eloquently uh, on the show. I said, I'll be more than happy to come. So I stop in, and it's 
Coach Haskins, it's um, Luster Goodwin, and it's G. Ray Johnson. I mean, those are and those are the three, right? So uh, Don uh, sees me and goes, "Hey, I've been hearing that uh, you've been talking about us on your radio show, specifically about how we're not scheduling anybody." And I said, "Have you seen your your schedule just came out? And it's not exactly the most impressive thing." And he goes, "Well." I'm just curious, Steve, who would you like to see us play? So I start naming schools. And as I'm naming each school, G. Ray and Lester are like, yep, talk to them. They don't want us. Offered them a two-for-one. They said no. Uh, and uh, you know, we tried to play a one-for-one on them. They wanted uh, like, a, like a three or four-for-one. Or they wouldn't, even, they wouldn't even return our phone calls. And we started doing this exercise, and after like 25 or 30 examples, I basically got to the point where I said, okay, I get it. I get it. And they're like, look, if you can help us find games, we'll take it. We'll take them. We're not afraid of anybody. So one thing I'll say about Don Haskins, never afraid to play anyone. Never said no. Never said no. But at the same time, he didn't want to just go out and play these money games where he would where he would go and not get a return game. And I don't blame him. In those years, I mean, he'd been doing this long enough. You know, he didn't want to just go out and, and play a team and, and not get and not get a return. They wanted one for ones. They even offered two for ones. They would rather do a two for one than a one off because at least give the fans a chance to see that team a year down the road. That's so disrespectful to Haskins and his legacy. I mean, teams not wanting to schedule them at that point. I feel like UTEP's brand at that point was was really high. So I'm I'm disappointed in yeah. opposing teams at that. I, nowadays, I understand. Well, because that, you gotta realize nowadays, no one, and everybody shies away from competition like this. Ninety seven or ninety eight, they were just coming off of that, um, you know, off of the probation that they had a few years earlier. They were down, and you would think that at school like this being down, everybody would want to play them. But they weren't getting, they weren't, you know, teams wouldn't reciprocate. They didn't want to come to the Haskins Center because even though the Miners were down in those years, they had Wolfram and they had Royce Smallwood. Those are probably, their, you know, their two best players in those days. Everybody knew if you go to UTEP, you're going to probably lose. And no school wanted to ever take a chance on that. So if they had a chance to do a one-for-one, one, they would say no way. That's really interesting. I I also wonder if down down all these years um, there have been schools in certain conferences or schools in you know certain parts of the country who just won't come to UTEP. Who says no? No, you you could throw any kind of money. You could you could come up with a deal for us, but we're just not going that way. And maybe it's travel. Maybe it's proximity. Maybe it's the fact that the Don Haskins Center does fill um, you know a, a good a decent group of fans and. and uh, opposing teams are afraid of coming here to town, but I, I just don't get it. I can't believe that scheduling is this difficult for some of these coaches. No, you're right. You're right. 20 in front of 7. We'll come back, wrap it up, final countdown next. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso.